Good afternoon and welcome to Aging Matters on Arlington Independent Media's community radio station, WERA Arlington, 96.7 FM. I'm Cheryl Beversdorf, your host. Dementia is the loss of cognitive functioning, thinking, remembering, and reasoning to such an extent that it interferes with a person's daily life and activities. Myths and misconceptions about dementia abound, what it is, who gets it, and how it affects the people who have it. My guest today is Catherine Fassbender, gerontologist and certified dementia communication specialist with the Reimagining Dementia Coalition. She will talk about how dementia affects certain older adults, including risk factors, common forms, and signs and symptoms, and how they can cope with their disease. She'll also discuss stigmas and stereotypes about people living with dementia and how the Reimagining Dementia, a creative coalition for justice, is changing that perception. So welcome, Kate, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Okay, well, Kate, we want to get an overview about the definition of dementia. We need to know a little bit more about it. So help us understand it. Uh, You can talk about the common forms of dementia, how these forms differ, causes, risk factors. What should we know? Yeah, so dementia itself is not a diagnosis. I think we still hear that misconception quite frequently. But what dementia is instead of that is it's uh, it's a term that kind of houses all these different types of dementia, which are specific diagnoses. So dementia, if we think of it as the first tier, that is a group of symptoms. And then there are different types of dementia, Alzheimer's being the most common. There's also vascular dementia, dementia, frontal temporal dementia, Lewy body. And we suspect there are hundreds of different types of dementias. Um, but the ones I listed are probably the, the types that most people are familiar with, either because a loved one or a neighbor or a friend has been diagnosed with it or they've heard about it in the news. So when someone goes to a doctor they will never get the diagnosis of dementia. They may go, okay, we suspect you have dementia. Now let's look deeper into, okay, what symptoms are you experiencing? What has been your history? Um, An example of this is my grandmother was diagnosed with vascular dementia. And for her, it started off, um, we suspected it was vascular dementia because she had years of high blood pressure. And that high blood pressure, much like a stroke or other things that happen with the heart can cause vascular dementia to occur later on in life. And so we saw, we saw things like depression. Um, there were certain times when we couldn't get a hold of her. We didn't know, did she make it to her doctor's appointment? Did she make it to her hair appointment? And she was kind of getting lost in her normal routine and she wasn't able to adapt a new routine into her life. And so those were kind of the things that we were seeing that ultimately led to us Um, having her go to a doctor to kind of figure out, okay, what is going on? Is this all something that's temporary that, you know, because my grandfather had just died two years prior, is this just kind of something that, you know, as she mourns and grieves um, will improve or is this something else? Um, And I think that is one thing that we need to think about with dementia is that there's dementia in terms of Alzheimer's, vascular, frontal temporal, Lewy body, which is essentially something that will you can't be cured of that will not go away it'll be it'll progress 
And then there are other things that look like dementia that are not, that are caused by depression, by a poor diet. Um, Sometimes it's even just giving someone hearing aids. They can't hear properly. They can't see properly. And we're seeing symptoms that look like dementia. Or it's a traumatic brain injury. And those are the type of things that can, can reverse itself that aren't, in fact, a diagnosis of a specific type of, of dementia. You've mentioned so many different types of uh, dementia and different forms. Are there certain causes? You mentioned that dementia could be mistaken sometimes, but are there certain, you mentioned one in terms of your grandmother was blood pressure, but are there other causes and are there risk factors? There are some risk factors. There is a, a genetic component. The interesting part about where we are in, in research when it comes to dementia and the various types is that we're learning a lot of new things right now and kind of rethinking about what we know. Okay, Alzheimer's, we all always heard about plaques and tangles. Well, is it truly plaques and tangles in the brain? Is it truly a genetic form where if you have this specific gene, you will get it? And so we can't say definitively all these things that maybe even five, 10 years ago, a lot of people were saying, if you do this, you do this. If you eat the Mediterranean diet, you will not get dementia. If you, you know, do, if you exercise, if you stay involved in the community, you will not um, be diagnosed with a type of dementia. And we can't say that so much anymore. Um, and it's one of those things where if that train's coming for you, you're, you're going to find yourself. Um, with a diagnosis of dementia. But what we can do, um, because there isn't a cure and there isn't, um, we're still very much learning and exploring these different types of dementia. What we can do is we can um, do different things to cope with the symptoms so that the, the severity of what we're seeing as a life with dementia can, can return to somewhat of a normal pattern. And these are things like what we've always known, you know, make sure you eat well, make sure you exercise. But what's of even greater importance is making sure that we are remaining in community and that we are finding ways to live our purpose. Um, Even if that purpose was raising children or being an elementary school teacher or being that lawyer or that physician, what was a part of that that helped you live fully alive in your career that you can take with you throughout your lifespan. And this is important whether you have dementia or not. It's important just for overall quality of life and bringing joy to life. And so what we can do is we can, you know, the teacher for them, it was connecting and sharing information and teaching people. Well, now can they go to a local senior center and maybe teach something, teach a history class, teach a community class, go into an elementary school and volunteer there. What are things that we can do, obviously in um, in unison with where the disease is progression because aphasia is part of dementia, you know, memory loss, that short-term, long-term memory loss, which we all know about is there. But what in each stage can we do to provide a purpose which ultimately fulfills a quality of life that no medication or other or anything else can can provide. Um, we saw very much during the pandemic, people who had a, a type of dementia significantly decreased. And part of that is because that community, that connection, that purpose was stripped away. 
and their life became a very clinical, medical little box. And so the lesson that we can take from that is that regardless of the type of dementia you have, if you have the risk factors, by making sure that you are not putting yourself in that box, you can live well with dementia. I'll be getting more into that in a moment, uh, Kate, but I wanted to just tease out a little bit more about who gets dementia. And if you can talk a little bit more yet about like the average age of a person who is living with dementia, and is there more of a prevalence regarding gender and race? Uh, Women more than men, uh, certain races have it more than others. Just so our listeners have kind of a good overview of about what dementia is and who it affects. So dementia is not a part of normal aging, but we see most people who have a specific diagnosis over that age of 65. So our older adults are certainly, you will see it more prevalent in that population. But just because someone's in their 20s or 30s does not negate them from the possibility of having dementia. We do know people who are younger, who are diagnosed um, with a specific type of dementia. About a year ago, I worked with a gentleman who is only just 40 years old at the time of diagnosis, um, and he had Lewy body dementia. And so it is something that can can get you in, in the younger ages, so to speak. Um, but it is more prevalent in the older ages. Um, there, there is a type of dementia called early onset dementia, and that is when we understand someone to be diagnosed with Alzheimer's pre-age uh, of 55 Um, We also see frontal temporal dementia being diagnosed younger than that, you know, in that 40s, 50s, early 60s range as well. And we see a lot of women have uh, being diagnosed with 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 a type of dementia, specifically, you know, the Alzheimer's uh, type. Um, We see a lot of women there. I personally know more men who have been diagnosed with Lewy body than women, but again, it's it, it's either or, it can be men, it can be women. Um, I also, um, and then for frontal temporal, I tend to see a, a mix of both men and women being diagnosed, again, but being diagnosed um, earlier in, in life, rather later in life. And there is a possibility that someone may be diagnosed with mixed dementia, which means they have two different types. Um, you know, typically it's Alzheimer's and another type, you know, Alzheimer's and vascular dementia. Um, for example, as as one. So both men and women get it. We see it it more in men. It is more for, we see it more in the older ages, but it does not discriminate against age because it's not a part of the normal aging process. And what about race? I recently have seen some mixed statistics, and I think part of it is being the proper diagnosis. So not everybody is properly diagnosed um, with a type of dementia, but I do see it more in the African-American community, but I'm seeing some mis- mixed statistics on that. So um, we'll just kind of have to wait and see how everything fizzles out there. And one other thing, I, and I do want to start talking about, uh, as you said, as to what can be expected uh, from people who are living with dementia. But I, in terms of the symptoms, I think especially if people are having them or family members note that a loved one is having some of these symptoms. Is there any recommended point when 
maybe it is time to go to a physician. What would families need to know about that? Yeah, so I always like to to say, and I encourage the people that I work with and even family, that there is never an early enough time to start kind of getting your baseline. So the Alzheimer's Foundation of America is great at encouraging people to kind of encourage you to get a baseline. Where's your baseline memory, your cognition? Where is that? Um, Because if we have that baseline, we can better see patterns of deterioration in in cognition. And so um, getting that baseline is important. But as we maybe start to see symptoms, memory may not always be that first symptom that you see. If somebody you, you know um, has trouble, say they have maybe four medications they take in the morning and all of a sudden their doctor recommends a fifth or taking away one and going down to three. That is now a new routine for that individual. And we may see them struggling with that new routine. Or if suddenly they were somebody that always needed to get up at six for something, now they have now they can get up at seven. You know, that's a change in routine. So looking for those those disruptions in routines and how well a person can take on that new routine and incorporate that into their life. That's something to look out for. Language is another thing. Um, if someone was very, very eloquent and suddenly we're seeing that vocabulary shrink, that may be something to look out for. Um, suddenly a path, you know, from house to their hairdresser, they, they get lost on that. That is something to look out for. Um, it's not always going to be that short-term memory loss. Um, you can also see things like if they start to hoard paper and notes and start, um, afraid to throw out old mail, that's unnecessary. So depending on the person, because, you know, there, there's a saying out there that I, I really, I, I like because it, it says a lot is if you know one person with dementia, you know, one person, um, with dementia. Um, and so each person's, the progression is going to be different, but these are little things that you can look out for. Um, and I, I always say, once you start to see something a little off, that is the time to enter the conversation to maybe bring it up with them and say, you know, should we have this checked out? Maybe it's something as simple as, you know, you're not getting enough potassium in your diet. Maybe it's something, you know, that's your hearing. Let's, let's check your hearing. Doing little things to kind of weed out what I, you know, kind of what I was referring to earlier as those, you know, symptoms of dementia that look like dementia, but fade away once something is corrected. So the sooner you start addressing those symptoms, the sooner you can figure out, is this dementia? Is it not? Um, What is it? How do we deal with it? Because the earlier the diagnosis, the stronger the chance of the person being able to live the full life that they want to live with dementia. They can live better because we're having doctors that are understanding medications at an earlier time um, and, and lifestyle changes and different things that they can do to set up themselves so as the disease progresses, they can continue to remain active and close to loved ones. And now I want to move towards the possibility of stigmas and stereotypes. You mentioned a little earlier about the fact that people still can engage in activities that they were doing before they were diagnosed. And is the idea of stigmas and stereotypes more with the person themselves in terms of their own self-analysis of what they will be able to do 
once they realize they have this diagnosis? Or is it more family members? Is it the public? Give us some insights about why this is happening and uh, and what what some of those stigmas and stereotypes are. It's a combination of everything you just stated. Um, there are people who, once they have um, a diagnosis, they assume their life is over and they they block themselves off. They stop socializing. They stop. They, you know, in some cases, immediately quit their job. Um, so in some cases, it is the self, the person with the diagnosis, kind of intensifying those stereotypes on themselves. But um, in, in, in general, I think that a lot of that that comes that the family and this person with the diagnosis feels in terms of stereotypes, it does come from the broader culture in terms of how we think about dementia, how we talk about dementia. Um, there is this kind of um, common experience of if a person um, in the doctor's appointment, once they have, you know, they've been told you have vascular dementia, you have Alzheimer's, suddenly the doctor basically says, go home, get your affairs in order, and no longer talks to that person with dementia. They talk to the person that's in the room with them their husband, their wife, their child, their friend, whoever may be with them. And that person with dementia suddenly becomes invisible. Or, you know, oh, because you have dementia now, you won't understand. Sorry, we're going we're gonna to have to talk to the person you're with. And so I think a lot of, um, in terms of care and how we look at care and how we um, uh, put into place plans comes from that, that medical stereotype that lives within our medical and clinical professions. Um, on one hand, you can kind of understand it because they know all, they know the neurology, they, they know all the, the little bits and pieces that are going on with the disease, but they're forgetting to infuse that with the humanity. And so we see a lot of stereotypes that come from that place. We also see it in how we talk about it in the news and in our arts organizations and plays and in movies and TV shows. And it they're either made to be the joke of a scene or um, we talk about it in terms of, oh, this person is suffering from dementia. This person is, you know, they, they, they're just a vegetable sitting in a chair or on the bed. And these little things, even those of us who work with people living with dementia who know them to not be true, we are bombarded with them constantly. And so we have to always fight up against, no, this person is a human being first. And their dementia, even in the last stages, when yes, they may not be able to, to communicate with us verbally, they may be constricted to their bed. There's still a humanity there. And we we tend to, to strip them of their humanity as the disease progresses. And so it's, it's a very complex web of stereotypes of, oh, they can't remember, they can't do this, they can't do that. Um, and, oh, everybody who's old has dementia. I've also seen the reverse where they think, oh, no one has dementia. So why can't, and getting frustrated, why can't you remember this? Don't you remember me? Why don't you remember that we did that yesterday? Why don't you remember what we did for lunch? And so it lives kind of even both in both those places. And so, like I said, it's a complex web of stereotypes that comes in at every angle, um, in every direction for, for those living with dementia. And have you seen in your work or you with your colleagues that 
this these stigmas and stereotypes may be even more prevalent maybe in like institutional settings, long-term care facilities. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I see it heavily in our care communities. So anybody who might be in adult day program, assisted living, skilled care, and even you know through to hospice, um, the stigmas are strongest there. Um, and part of it is because of how our care settings are set up. You know, there's a task that the CNAs, the nurses have to do um, that kind of help reinforce some of those stigmas and those stereotypes because they are also seeing people who are living with dementia at their most vulnerable. They're not necessarily seeing the people that are out and about in our communities or living at home. They're seeing people when they are, they no longer can live at home. It's no longer safe for them to do that, to, to do so. You know, they're, they're beyond the stage of being able to drive of, you know, taking care of their own finances. And so they are seeing people in the most vulnerable spots um, of the dementia journey. And so it's it's kind of understandable that they fall into that, um, but it is something that they too have to fight up, up against to, um, to kind of go, wait, no, there's a human person here. Not all, you know, not all that I'm doing is helping them live a life without those stigmas and without those stereotypes. Um, um, but in addition to that, I also see it in certain families and not necessarily, and not all families of certain backgrounds or religions it kind of is, you know, little clusters, you know, it's not necessarily all Italian Americans sing it this way and all Irish Americans sing it this way. It's, it varies. Um, but even within families, you can see it very strongly. And sometimes, at least in my experience with the people that I've worked with, it's, it's the families who have already gone through this before. Their grandmother, their aunt, somebody lived with dementia, and now another family member has it. I see that those families really battling almost with those stereotypes in stronger ways than those who may be going through it for the first time. Um, and I think that's why, you know, staying in community, staying in family is important to kind of work through those and also ha- being able to openly talk about dementia. That's another, you know, one of the one of the stereotypes and stigmas that kind of lives there is we don't really talk about it. It's in hushed tones. Sometimes when somebody is diagnosed, they may still live at home and be out and about in the community and they're able to pull it together so it doesn't look like they have uh, a type of dementia at all when they're out with people. They are the type that may not want to, they may not tell anybody. And so when, when all of a sudden their symptoms do start to show, family and friends don't know what it's about, what's going on. They don't know how to support and be there for that person. And so it lives there as well. Well, this is a good place to stop right now and take a short break because when you get back, we'd like to have you talk more about how people can, who have been diagnosed with dementia, how they can come to terms with their diagnosis. We are talking with Catherine Fassbender, who is a gerontologist. She's also a certified dementia communication specialist with the Reimagining Dementia Coalition. And you are listening to WERA Arlington 96.7 FM. We'll be right back.
welcome back. We are talking about reimagining dementia today, and uh, our guest is Catherine Fassbender, who is a gerontologist as well as a certified dementia communication specialist. And Kate, in the first half, we talked a lot about overall attitudes, signs, symptoms, causes, but I'd like to focus more on the person himself or herself who is diagnosed with dementia. Help us understand more about this. What can people who are diagnosed with dementia do to come to terms with their diagnosis? Does the approach vary depending on the person, the diagnosis? What do folks need to know, folks and their families? Yeah, so hearing that you have a diagnosis of one of the types of dementia, although it may be suspected and you may kind of gut feeling know you you have a, you know vascular dementia or Alzheimer's, it still is a hard statement to hear from your doctor. And like we mentioned previously, not all of our physicians are necessarily trained in helping the humanity move forward in terms of a diagnosis. They may be able to direct you to the best you know specialist, the best, in-home care provider, all these things that you should take into account, but they may not help you build out a full care team of somebody that you can surround yourself with that know you have a type of dementia, what you want out of life, and where you might be struggling. And so it's it's important that you, even before that uh, doctor's appointment where it's confirmed, yes, you have a type of dementia or no, it's something else. Having a dialogue with somebody who's close to you, a, a husband, a wife, a child, a best friend, um, uh, someone, a member of the clergy at your church, somebody that you can trust to say, okay, this is where I am. This is what I think I might have. Will you, will you be with me and be on my care team regardless of what I hear? Um, that is a piece that I think we're, there's a lot of fear in doing that. Partly, again, back to those stereotypes and those stigmas. But being able to do that is going to help make hearing that diagnosis and everything that follows a lot easier. So having someone on your side. And then when you hear that, regardless, when you hear that you have a diagnosis, regardless of how your physician is engaging with you or, or not, you know, in the case of talking to the person with you in the room, not, you know, not directly with you, um, hearing that and then tossing it out the window if, he, if the physician's saying, hey, get your affairs in order, you know, prepare to die. Throw that out, set that aside. And then go back to that person that was in the room with you when you heard your diagnosis. That person, if that person's different than the person you approached previously, letting them know and start building out a care team. And when I think of a care team, I don't just think the people that the doctors are recommending on your team. But also if you are a person of faith, someone from your faith community, a faith leader, um, a friend, uh, if you are someone that is inclined to go to therapy or spiritual direction, finding those people and say, hey, will you be on my care team? If you love tennis, finding a tennis instructor that may be able to be on your care team. All these people 
that represent um, parts of yourself and your life that you love, that you like, that you want to continue. Someone on your golf league, someone who you know you frequently see at a local restaurant or a cafe. Um, you know the the person who always happens to be uh, serving your table can be on your care team so that you can continue to go to that restaurant as your disease progresses. So kind of thinking outside of the box um, of who you might want on your care team. And then also thinking about the places that are important to you, a local library, a church, a theater company, um, uh, the symphonic hall in your community, a gallery, a bookstore, places in your community that you want to frequent and in, even if they don't, you don't say, hey, I have dementia, um, just so you know, but may, taking note of those places that are of importance to you and then having the people that are on your team help you continue to, to go hear the local Philharmonic, to go see that art gallery opening, um, to continue to go to church, whatever it may be, kind of lay out a map of what life can look like, what's important to you. Because when you do that, you can focus on that, what's important. I want to continue to, to listen to music. I want to continue to play tennis as long as I can. I want to continue to frequent that restaurant, that cafe. You are then putting a system in place to create when you still can maybe have some routines, um, building new routines, incorporating that into your care plan um, for a higher quality of life. So I'm understanding, Kate, what you're talking about is to external activities to continue uh, as long as possible. Is a part of that experience then that the person who's living with dementia is really understanding their their symptoms uh, and, and emotions? Are people who are diagnosed or, or are living with dementia aware of, of kind of what's going to happen as to their their emotions and and what about coping mechanisms? How how do they internally begin to live with dementia? Yeah, they are. You know, they're aware that they have dementia and what what might be their journey. You know, everybody's journey looks a little differently, and depending on the type of dementia dictates kind of a, a general path. Um, and so no one knows exactly how fast that journey is going to go, how intense it's going to be. And so by by setting up, as I mentioned previously, the external kind of elements of places you want to visit, the people you want to be in your life, you can also, you know, each person's a little different in terms of how they work on the internal um, and figure out, okay, how am I going to cope with this? How, what am I going to do? And um, so it, it comes down to, are you a person that you may want a spiritual director or a therapist um, to help you kind of work through that if you need kind of an external guide to help you cope with all the symptoms and how they might progress and what might your life look like and what's going to be out of control and what's going to be in control. Um, so doing that, leaning into, if you are a person of faith, leaning into your faith can help. Um, one tool that I have found that helps, um, is, is letter writing. We all know the beauty of kind of writing letters and the joy of receiving letters and that sort of thing. And I've noticed a, a common theme of those who are diagnosed 
with a type of dementia, particularly in that early stage, they want to talk about it. They want to kind of explore it, to work through it. Um, but because of those stereotypes and those stigmas, sometimes they're shushed. And so they feel they can't talk about it or they shouldn't talk about it. Um, and so one thing that I, I've done is um, I created what's called the Dementia Letters Project. And it helps those living with dementia as well as their care partners write letters to dementia, kind of processing what is going on. You know, this is, I was diagnosed with this. I fear this. I wish, you know, I wonder if this means that I won't be at my granddaughter's wedding or be able to hold my first great grandchild. And through that letter, be it in written word or in colors and images that may represent what the person is kind of feeling and thinking. And then having the control of saying, when I'm done with this letter, I'm going to rip it to shreds and throw it in the garbage. Or I'm going to fold it up and I'm going to tuck it away and I'll never see it again. And when my children clean out my room, they'll find it. Or, hey, I'm going to hand this to somebody else and I want them to mail it to me. So I have that joy of receiving a letter and then being reminded of kind of where I am on this journey and then add to that letter. So that is one way that we can can kind of work with the coping both as a care partner and a person who has the diagnosis to kind of process all that that they're experiencing, remembering and writing, documenting maybe past joys, writing down fears that they might have for the future, like, you know, not being able to hold a grandchild or, you know, go on that family vacation to Ireland that you've talked about for decades and you finally put it on the calendar and now it's up in the air if you can go. You know, doing that sort of thing is just going to help you process it and internalize, okay, this is what is, this is what I can't control, but this is where I find joy. So how can I magnify what I find joyful? And I would imagine what I'm hearing you say is the importance of the interaction with the care partners and the family members that they by reinforcing these feelings that folks are experiencing or these symptoms that to some degree, at least, the person who's living with dementia feels more empowered, that they're acknowledged for what they are still cognizant about and are able to do. So talk a little bit more about why the care partners and family members' role is so important to this person. Yeah, it's it's something where no one can walk the dementia journey alone. I mean, in life, we can, we are we are a communal being. We need people. Um, there are always going to be people that are going to help us, and people that we can help. Um, and that is true for dementia as well. And so, finding care partners, and again, I use care partner and not caregiver, because it is a partnership. Yes, there are times when that care partner is giving and giving and giving and giving but it is still a partnership and there are gifts that the person with dementia can give that care partner as well. Um, And it's important that we find, um, we build out that care team. We have those close care partners so that they know who we are, what we want out of life, and they can help us achieve that. Um, Because there will be times when suddenly, you know, taking care of your own finances is not going to be a possibility. But you may not be able to do that, but you can still get in that kitchen and make a delicious meal and share that with loved ones. And so it's about 
finding what you can do and having that person that understands dementia, understands who you are, so that when there are things that you can do, they can empower you to do those and take care of what you can't do anymore. Um, and the more people you have on your care team that you really trust, the, the more you can do, the more you can magnify in your life. And I would add just one more thing, and then I want to get into reimagining dementia. But you had talked about this earlier, about social engagement, that that not only recognizing symptoms and that, but getting out and doing those kinds of activities that you talked about are really, as long as they can, they, these are really important. Yes, very important. Because, you know, even the most introverted person, even the person who, who may be sitting at their home and saying, I don't like people, they still have people that are important to them and that they, they've connected with. And so no one could just be totally stripped of all, of all community. And so it, it's important for not only understanding symptoms, but also just understanding self in, in this point in time of, of life. And then let's, let's move on to this concept, which seems to be coming more and more prevalent in our society, as it were, this, this idea of reimagining dementia. Where did that initially come from? And uh, then let's just kind of move into the reimagining dementia, a creative coalition for justice in terms of your mission and who the members are. But Give us a little bit of an overview first about the term itself and then what the coalition is doing. Yeah, so Reimagining Dementia, it started in April of 2020. Um, and we had no idea what was going to come of conversations. But a number of us in very in different disciplines, people who are care partners, people with a diagnosis, um, we all came together and just had a few conversations. We were witnessing an intensification um, because of the pandemic, what we had already seen for, for years before that in terms of stigma and stereotypes, in terms of um, how we looked at personhood for somebody with dementia. And we wanted to figure out, okay, in this time when we all have a little more time on our hands, what, what, what conversations should we be having so that we can make the future better than the past in terms of what it looks like to live with dementia. And we are recognizing that there are a lot of really good people doing amazing work in dementia. It just needed to be echoed in greater ways. And we needed to have a place where those who felt like they were in silos could connect with other people. Um, and so we, through conversations and conversations, we suddenly said, okay, we need to do something. We need to create a coalition that's not based off of a specific profession, a specific role on the dementia journey, or even a specific region. It needed to be an international group of people, of all different types of people in different roles, different journeys, different experiences, different places in dementia, um, to come together. To so we had a place to not only continue our conversations, but also to see what work we could do to change the narrative of dementia, which is predominantly doom and gloom. Um, it's not always, and, and there have been times when I have mentioned you can be joyful with dementia, 
and people look at me like I just swore. They can't believe it. They don't understand it. How, how, how is that possible? You can't be joyful with dementia. You only suffer with dementia. Suffering is a small piece of it. And there is joy. There is uh, life. There is laughter and all those things. And so in September of 2020, we decided to formally come together as reimagining dementia um, so that uh, we could use all of our conversations about how creativity can be the vehicle for this changing of the narrative um, and, and formalize it in that way. So the next question would be, what are you doing? I, you've told us about the members now, and uh, how is the coalition helping the care partners, the families of older adults living with dementia worldwide, and of course, most important, the older adults and, and, and younger adults, whoever, who are living with dementia? What kinds of uh, activities are you, are you involved with? Yeah, so we've done a number of things. Um, one of the first things that we did was we wrote a white paper to be published in, in an academic journal so we could reach that level of professionals to kind of start at that academic and medical and clinical level, encouraging a new way to look at dementia so that in their practice, in their research, they could start thinking of different approaches, of new ways to maybe word something, to say something, to express something that they're learning and trying to teach. Um, so we've done that. We've also then started doing what we call member gatherings. So quarterly we gather, we have three, three different times in, in a week depend, so that we can reach all time zones. And we just come together and we, we, we talk about what people are experiencing, maybe what they are doing, what they need, what they would like to give. Um, so it's kind of just you know a gathering to remind ourselves that we are not alone. And then we have now also done, we're about to launch our second campaign. The first campaign was called Let's Reimagine, where we created uh, a film uh, and uh, we wrote a song to kind of, again, show how the arts can change that narrative of doom and gloom to start that, hey, look at all these people, they're living with dementia, but look what they created. Look what we can do. Look what we can experience. And we are now about to approach our next campaign, which will be a lot launched later this month, um, called Take It to the Streets. And the goal of this campaign is really to help uh, encourage conversations with people that we may not necessarily talk to about dementia. A lot of the conversations that the coalition has had up to this point have been with other people who are in the dementia world in some way. They're professionals, they're care partners, they have the diagnosis themselves. And there's a lot of people that are not engaging in that conversation and we want this to be that invitation to engage them in that conversation. And so we have, as a coalition have not set up a formal event or program, so to speak, but have laid the platform so that other people can. And so we've had, had people say, hey, tell us what, what you're going to do for this campaign. And we have everything from somebody saying, I'm going to go and I'm going to host a family and neighborhood dinner. And we're going to just talk about dementia. That's going to be the topic of conversation while we share a meal together. We have people who are going to be sitting on street corners with tables and information and flyers saying, hey, this is, this is also dementia. It's not just the, the, the brain scans and the numbers and the stats. Um, and we have things as grand as big gallery openings and performances talking about the creativity in dementia, the joy in dementia, and what life can be 
with a diagnosis. And so it's going to be really exciting to see how this unfolds. And it's a campaign that while we have a set kind of launch week, it's going to be an ongoing campaign because this is a conversation that we can have over and over again and that will continue to grow and evolve. Well, I have to ask you, what would be the website or the site where people could learn more? And if either an, as an individual, can somebody volunteer to participate? Or if it's an organization in the community, what would people need to know as far as participation is a commitment? Give us some more information. Yeah, so the, the best way to get started is to go to the website, which is reimaginingdementia.com. And then in the menu bar, you'll see a place for Take It to the Streets. You can click on that. And there, there you'll have all the information about kind of what led up to us wanting to do this campaign, our hopes for the campaign. And then you'll also see uh, a petition that we created as well as a list of what other people are doing. And so if someone would like to get involved, they can one, sign the petition kind of saying, I agree you know, to the changing narrative of dementia from doom and gloom to joy and creativity. That's a very simple way to participate, probably kind of the baseline. Um, or they can go and see what other people are doing and join them, if, especially if they're in their local community or in their state. Say, hey, I, can, I, can I get involved in the specifics of what you are doing? Um, and on that page will also be information about how you might be able to start something yourself. If you want to host a conversation at your local community center, here are um, logos and sample flyers and things that you can do and, and copy that you can bring to to say, hey, can I do something here? I would like to host a conversation, an event, uh, a gallery opening, whatever it may be. Um, and all of it along the way kind of encourages both the very small, simple conversations to how to do large scale events at your with your company, your university um, or organization. And this is a international, a national as well as international. So this yes. is going on all parts of the country and world, as it were? Yeah, it is international. We have we have a number of people here in the U.S. doing different things, a lot in the UK, UK Canada. We have some things in Japan, uh, India. It is a global, a global initiative. You said it started this month. What has it officially started? Is there a kickoff date and when it begins and ends? It hasn't officially started, um, but we are constantly uh, kind of promoting and encouraging people. So if they want to start now, they can. Um, but in two weeks is when we officially um, officially launch uh, the campaign. So as I understand it, since we're broadcasting today on the 12th of September, it'll be closer towards the end of September. Is correct. that correct? Correct. So I'm wondering, too, since this is an ongoing kind of activity of reimagining dementia, what happens next? What is the future going to be? for reimagining dementia. You have a campaign right now, but is is your coalition working with other groups to permanently change this image? Uh, what, what are future plans? Uh, future plans are somewhat unknown and somewhat determined about how uh, the membership, which at this point 
um, is just under 900 globally want to take the direction of the, of the coalition. And so um, our mission will always be to help change that narrative from the doom and gloom to joy using creativity. And so through that, partnerships with other organizations have occurred and are in the process of, of happening. Um, but it's also very much staying on the local level. What does it mean to reimagine dementia in your community and be very specific community-wise? Um, and we'll continue to host member gatherings so that those who want to do something on the community level have that support of the international community um, to bounce ideas off of, to share, okay, what does it look like here? Because we know that the way we look at dementia here in the United States may be different than somebody in, in India. It may be different than somebody living in rural um, England. Uh, and so what does it look like in your community and how can we as a group of people with all different experiences support what needs to happen in your local community? I'm wondering also, Kate, if there are certain campaign partners that you would really like to welcome, that there are certain groups maybe that need more education or can provide certain information or support or insight about this concept of reimagining dementia. Are there certain groups that if they were listening today and they didn't realize that they should be participating, that you'd really like to have them participate? Yeah, I think, you know, partnerships with local Alzheimer's Association chapters um, is, is important. Partnerships with universities and education overall, even elementary schools, um, because the sooner we can start to share the joy of dementia with people, the better off you know that child's connection with their grandparent may be. So schools, certainly. Um, and it would also be a, a great joy to connect with some of the more well-known organizations, Caring Kind in New York City, um, the Alzheimer's Foundation of America, I already said, you know, uh, the Alzheimer's Association, um, Alzheimer's Society up in Canada, to partner with them so that you know, a lot of them may be doing really well in the research and the clinical care. Let's partner with you so we can do the social and community care as well. So we can work together because it doesn't matter how large your organization is, you can't do it alone. And so the greater the web of connections between all the different organizations and us is, uh, the better we can accomplish our missions, um, where they may differ and where they may overlap. Okay. Well, we're just about out of time. So give us a final uh, reminder about the coalition and the Taking It to the Streets campaign, how people can find out more information and any final comments. So Reimagining Dementia, really, our mission is to change that doom and gloom narrative into one of joy and one that is about living fully alive with dementia, regardless of your type of dementia, the stage of your journey, who's on your care team, what resources you might have just outside your door, um, changing that narrative. And so by participating in this Take It to the Streets campaign and really accepting the invitation to have conversations about dementia with people who may not be on your care team, may not normally talk about dementia, are, are important because we are all living with dementia whether we realize it or not, we either have somebody we love, will have somebody our love, or we ourselves may be living with dementia. And so the greater we can connect with people and have conversations about what life looks like, 
the better off we're all going to live as we continue to age and progress in our various trials of, of life. And that website address again? Reimaginingdementia.com. All right. Well, I want to thank Catherine Fassbender, gerontologist and certified dementia communication specialist with the Reimagining Dementia Coalition for joining me today. Thank you, Kate, for being my guest. Thank you. To learn more about Aging Matters, of course, you can visit our website, which is agingmattersonline.com. And of course, at this site, you can access all of the Aging Matters radio, podcasts, and the TV show content. Aging Matters is produced in association with Ink Mouth Media. To learn more about that company, log on to inkmouthmedia.com. Thank you for listening to Aging Matters today. And remember, age is just a number, not a label. I'll be back again with you next week. Thank you.